This is Harold S. Reed Jr. and welcome to another episode of the Ice Talks, where we implement change every day. Hey, this is Harold S. Reed Jr., also known as HRJR, your motivational coach. If you don't know what motivation means, motive plus action equals results, and results equals success. Today, I want to talk to you about picking your battles. I want to do so, however, in the context of sharing a little bit about my past, an experience I had when I was living in South Carolina uh, in attempts to become a police officer with the Charleston Police Department. Now, the year was 1995, and it was a very pivotal growing point in my life and on my journey. I was on my quest towards my career in law enforcement, and since nothing was panning out in New Jersey at the time, my mother, who had moved to South Carolina after my grandmother had passed some years before, suggested I try applying for the Charleston Police Department. So for now, I'll just give you the Reader's Digest version and say that things did not work out down there, and I decided to return to New Jersey and go back to the old drawing board. What's important is that I learned a whole lot and became a much better man because of that experience. You see, I knew what I wanted to be, but I had never been tested. I never had people actively interfere and conspire to stand in my way of me achieving my goals. Even back in New Jersey, you know, I had issues with people, but I could just say it was all about red tape and politics or what have you. But in Charleston, I could put faces to the game that was being played on me. In retrospect, I realized that I faced what they call institutionalized racism. I faced this head on when a training sergeant came to me and said, Reed, you got to learn how to play by the rules. Seeing it as how I had never violated any documented policies, I realized that the rules, quote unquote, that I violated were those involving me not staying in my proverbial place. I've always had a good time whenever I went down south, but there's a difference, a big difference between going down south for a visit and moving down to live in the deep south. And the deep south is still very much racist in a great many areas. Some of you guys may remember back in 1992, Spike Lee made a movie entitled X. In brilliant fashion, Denzel Washington played the part of Malcolm Little, later known as Detroit Red, later known as Satan, later known as Malcolm X, and finally known as El Haj Malik El Shabazz, one of the greatest leaders black people in the United States have ever had. By the time this movie came out, I had already read the autobiography of Malcolm X like two or three times, the first time being when I was in the eighth grade. Now... Spike Lee, along with a whole bunch of bootleggers, <laughs> made a mint selling all kinds of X paraphernalia, t-shirts, bags, backpacks, medallions, posters, you name it. If you could put an X on it, someone was selling it. Now, why do I share that with you? Because one of the most intriguing sights I ever saw while I was living in South Carolina was a bumper sticker bearing a Confederate flag. And under it, it said, you wear your X and I'll wear mine. I remember chuckling when I first saw it, but I also remember giving that unknown driver a little mental note of respect. Now, that guy could have been a card-carrying member of the Ku Klux Klan, but in that instant, he had my respect only for the sheer fact that I knew where he stood. See, one of life's realities is that we, as God's imperfect little children, have never and will not likely ever agree on everything. However, there's more honor in knowing who your enemy is and being able to either face him or her or know his or her intentions rather than dealing with those who will smile in your face all the while plotting your very downfall at the first available opportunity. In my dealings with that training sergeant in South Carolina, when everything came to a head, 
I was ordered to a meeting with the chief of police. I was ordered to bring every piece of equipment they issued me for surely upon completion of that meeting, I would be fired from the Charleston Police Department. I spent the entire weekend preparing for that meeting and upon completion of that meeting, I didn't lose my job. I stood my ground. I kept my composure and I won. Now, I was supposed to be graduating from the police academy when all of this happened and my father had flown to Charleston for what was supposed to be my graduation from the police academy. However, in dealing with the fact that I was not going to be graduating and after telling him everything that had transpired leading up to that, he told me something that encapsulated my entire experience up to that point. He told me I had to learn how and when to choose my battles and choose which battles were worth fighting. With that, I began to reflect upon my experiences in the preceding months and how they led up to my present state of affairs at that time and how they could have and eventually wound up affecting my future. I took into consideration the links that certain people had gone through to have me removed from the police academy and attempt to get me fired, even though I was amongst the top 5% of my class. I asked myself, if this is what they'll do to keep me from getting my foot in the door, what might they be capable of if I actually got in? See, my father's words came back to me about learning how and when to choose my battles. I'd won a couple battles, but I was clearly able to see just how deep the deck was stacked against me. And I made the determination that I'd be better off returning to New Jersey. The fact that you're listening to this podcast is proof that I made the right decision. Even though it took me another five years from that point before I achieved my goal of becoming a police officer, I'd learned so much from that experience in South Carolina that I can't even be mad about it. I learned so much from that particular part of my journey that I truly have a deep appreciation for my career and all it allowed me to have and do both for myself as well as for others. So as you continue on on your journey, you'll find that there will be people who you encounter whose sole purpose will be to sway you from your focus. Depending on what, you're, on what goals you're trying to accomplish, there are a variety of ways you can deal with the situation. Like snowflakes, no two situations may be the same. Now, I've never learned how to play the game of chess, but I do understand it to be a game of strategy. I do know enough about the game to know that more often than not, the winner is the one who is better and more adept at both executing his or her own strategy as well as anticipating his or her opponent's strategy. Good players know just how many moves it'll take for them to win by anticipating their opponent's strategy while executing their own. A lot of times within the first two or three moves that are made within a given game. Life is no different. From Sun Tzu to Barack Obama, the most successful people throughout all of history have been those who strategize, plan ahead, and execute. What I want you to do, I want you to learn the concept of being bigger. What do I mean by that? Allow me to explain. Conflict. See, some people thrive on conflict. These are people who are not happy unless they're causing someone else some form of misery. The reason for this is at their core, they themselves are miserable. And like the saying goes, misery loves company. Now, I wouldn't go so far as to say that I've been a miserable person, but I have fed into the misery at different times in my life. Most people in their various careers and lifestyles go through their daily activities exposed to little or no misery. 
Granted, we all have our own personal trials and tribulations we must endure in our life's journey, but imagine being in a vocation that requires you to witness everyone else's trials and tribulations every day and then still have to go home and deal with your own. It's very easy to fall victim to not just misery, but flat-out clinical depression if you're not secure in your own peace of mind. And I'm not ashamed to say that I was depressed for a while leading up to uh, what became my retirement. But I digress. Let me ask you this. What do most people if what do most what do most people do if they feel they're being attacked or at the very least offended? They counterattack or offend in retaliation. But my question to you is what has been gained in the exchange? What else other than a passing feeling of satisfaction, being able to say, well, I told him I gave her a piece of my mind. That's nothing but false pride right there. In actuality, you've gained nothing. Let me let me dig deeper into this because there are times when somebody will come to you with a problem or let me rephrase, you go to somebody else with a problem. You want to approach this person in a mature adult manner, right? And you, listen, I got a problem. Let's, you know, let me, let, let's talk about it. And you tell them what the problem is. And instead of listening to you and understanding where you're coming from, the first thing they do, they do is jump on the defensive and counterattack. Well, well, Let's not talk about what I did. Remember when you blah, 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 blah. And we go on into talking about, you know, now you're going back and forth and you're not, you're going farther away from finding common ground. So in the end, not only does the initial conflict remain, but by the counterattack, you've only fanned the, fl- fanned the flames of that conflict, making it grow in size. Furthermore, what did you do? What did you get in exchange for giving the person a piece of your mind? Chances are you got absolutely nothing. All right. You, you say, I'm going to let me tell you something about this. Da, 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 da. You know, chances are, like I said, you got you got nothing of value out of it. Now, can any of us afford to give away, just give away pieces of our mind in exchange for nothing? I think not. I remember a while ago having a long conversation with one of my closest friends who's a corrections officer. And he was telling me about how there were certain people on his job that he didn't get along with and how how much he didn't mind telling them how much he didn't care for them. And I advised him, I said, man, just be cool as well as careful about how you address these people and how you respond to your co-workers. You know, like, and I told him, I said, one of the lessons I learned from my experience in South Carolina is you don't know who knows who and how well they get along. So, you know, um, I began to explain, like I said, I told him my situation. I told him, when I was in South Carolina, I debated an issue. Man, you couldn't tell me nothing. If I was right, I was right. I stood my ground. And one, I remember a time when I was in South Carolina, I debated an issue with one of my instructors and had clearly made my point while neutralizing hers. However, I was a, a recruit and she was an instructor. Now, I felt good about myself having proved my point, but at the same time, I humiliated her in front of the entire class. And I later found out she was the one who was an old friend of the training sergeant who pulled me out of the police academy. She had a couple words with him and he in turn made a phone call to the chief of police who in turn gave the order to have me removed from the academy. And I don't know whether or not my friend followed my advice but, about holding his tongue, but about four months after we had that conversation, he got suspended because a prisoner got jumped and injured in an area that was supposed to be under his surveillance. Somehow, he was peculiar, peculiarly assigned to a post that was supposed to be manned by two or more officers. However, he was assigned alone. 
Basically, he was held responsible for not being able to be in two places at the same time. What more than likely happened was that somebody he told off probably went to someone they were friends with and conveniently set him up under the guise of being understaffed in that area. He fought his suspension and eventually won back his lost pay and his seniority, but he was act- and he was actually rather proud of that victory. Now, for those of you who know me from my first book, Find a Way to Make a Way, everybody's favorite chapter is a chapter about bubble busters. And we all have that tendency in us. And I hated having to be one at that time. I hated having to be a bubble buster, but there was no other way for the lesson to get across. So I said to my friend, you know, granted you got your money back, but you didn't win anything. All you got was rightfully yours in the first place. Look back at how hard your family had to struggle while you were out of work. Think back on those spats you had with your wife, knowing in your heart they were all just because you guys were frustrated. You still love each other, but you got frustrated and you took it out on each other from time to time. While you were enduring those burdens, the people who set you up were laughing at you. Just like I'm sure that instructor had the last laugh at my expense. Another thing that both of my parents told me as I was enduring my ordeal in South Carolina was, you've got to learn how to play the game. Although it sounds similar to what the sergeant said about following the rules, whereas he was covertly telling me that I should stay, excuse my French, in a nigga's place, my parents were teaching me about the importance of tempering my emotions and controlling my tongue. Now, granted, there are times when it's best to lay low and humble and bide your time, but there are also times when you must stand your ground. If you must take someone on, go all out. There are times for being kind and forgiving. However, if it goes against everything that is logical for one to just allow him or herself to be a willing victim, I'm not going to allow myself to get all deep into some kind. Listen, I'm not going to I'm not going to get all deep into some kind of morally judgmental diatribe. I'm not. I'm not going to waste your time like that. But what I will say is that the path of success is chock full of people who are out to get you and take you out. After all, they too are on journeys of their own and they have an entirely different definition of success with a whole different set of rules regarding getting there. Either you are in their way or they see you as a potential threat and believe believe you have to be taken out. If what you want is important to you, Stand your ground by all means. Now, by no means am I advocating violence in any way to achieve your objectives or in defending yourself against nonviolent attacks against your character or career. What I am saying is that there are times when you must take a stand so that others see that you are not one to be messed with. And other times when the best revenge you could have is to fall back and do nothing. I always say that in the end, God don't like ugly and karma can be a mean SOB. You know, I'll tell you about another quick story. Before I became a police officer, I worked for Old Navy and I got that. I was in loss prevention and I got that job through a guy who I thought was my friend. We had worked in different stores and doing loss prevention in Livingston, New Jersey at the Livingston Mall. And there was an opening at Old Navy and he put in the word for me. I got the job. Now, when I got the job to show my appreciation, I don't want him to look bad. I hit the ground running, right? People actually called us the Twin Towers because we were virtually the same size and build, you know. But what wound up happening was he was no longer the star. We were the Twin Towers. So people started looking at us as equals, even though I treated him as my manager, which he didn't even actually have that official title. But his insecurities, his jealousy in terms of how other managers were looking at me and, and, and the, the potential that I had 
instead of helping me and cultivating that potential, he decided that he wanted to sabotage me. He talked about me behind my back and, you know, and, 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 and just did everything he could to try and make me look bad in the eyes of other people. And one of my coworkers, my teammates, came to me and said, you know, so-and-so is plotting on you, man. He's telling managers this, that, and everything. I said, yeah, I know. This is what you're going to do about it, man. You're going to step to him? Said, no, not at all. Because I was going through a growth process in my life at that time. And I said, all I have to do is not be what he's telling them I am. And in time, the more he talks, the less it shows, the more of a fool he's going to be. So I fell back. I did nothing. Right. And then when he tried to come at me and, and accuse me of other things, this, that and the third, what I was doing, I had dates. I kept a little journal whenever he whenever he did something outside the pocket. I had dates. So when he tried to call me in front of our boss and say I had done something that, that, that was wrong or against company policy, I said, hold on for a second. Went to my briefcase, pulled out my little uh, journal, and I ran down like three months of this guy. Listen, he tried to bury me. I threw him deep under that bus with dates, situations, witnesses, names. He couldn't do nothing against it. In the long run, I wound up getting a promotion and because of some other mess that he got himself into, he wound up getting fired. See, so what I want you to know that as you travel on your journey, you're going to have to realize that there are all kinds of wolf, all kinds of wolves in sheep's clothing out there. You're going to have to learn how to see them before they see you. You're going to have to learn how to avoid them if possible and engage them if necessary. There are going to come times, there are going to come times in your life when you are going to want to wring somebody's neck. It's going to be the most natural, primal instinct that comes to your mind. But that, not, that might not be the right thing to do. The right thing to do might be to just fall back, develop a strategy, outthink them. How do you outthink them? Think like them. See? You know how the old saying goes, two minds are better than one? So if you're thinking with your mind and you are putting yourself in their shoes and you're thinking how they would think, that's two minds. Two minds are better than one. All right? So again, pick your battles. Pick your battles because not every battle is worth fighting. But if you do decide that you have to stand your ground and you do decide you have to fight, you do decide that this is a battle that has to be waged, you battle to win. Thanks for listening to The Ice Talks, where we implement change every day.